What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Whiskey, Web, and Whatnot, your favorite podcast about whiskey, web, and whatnot, with your hosts, Robbie the Wagner and Charles William Carpenter, the 452nd. Mm-hmm. There's just, it, it runs deep in my family. Yeah. I can't wait to potentially have the 453rd. I don't know if it'll be by blood. Yep. It'll have to be adopted at this point. Sorry. It, I respect its privacy. <laughs> anyway, this episode is sponsored by Verseau. Yeah, it is. Yeah. They don't know uh, it have yet. Have you used Astro? Because uh, it's uh, sponsored by Vercel as yeah, well. Yeah, perfect. Um, anyway, <laughs> I think you should have, have a guest today. all of your kids, Chuck, like George Foreman, <laughs> and just numbered them all sequentially as well. Yeah, that, would, yeah. that would also help up the numbers. Charles William Carpenter yeah. the third, point two, point three, something like that. That's a great idea. <laughs> See, this is why you're a principal engineer. <laughs> or you just... Put it in the name instead of actually making it the same name. You put an official part of their name, the number. All right. Uh, save this for the what? Anyway. Anyway, our guest today is <laughs> Welch Canavan. So for those who don't know you, Welch, tell us a little about yourself and what you do. Uh, hi. Uh, yeah, I'm a principal engineer. Uh, these days I work at Stitch Fix. Uh, I've been doing this about 10 years. My first job was at National Geographic, and that's where I met Chuck. And then I worked at a few other places, and, uh, and actually in different permutations, I've worked with Chuck and Robbie off and on. For a decade. Uh, what, what was your job before you got hired at National Geographic? <laughs> uh, I've done a, a lot of different stuff, but the immediate job before National Geographic is I was working in a vegetable oil refining shop, like just uh, I just as a handyman, essentially, like kind of like breaking down pumps, uh, making pickups. It was a pretty gross work. A long and winding road. Uh, I mean, you'd be remiss if you didn't mention your career as a Levi's model, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really have done uh, a lot of different jobs. <laughs> I'm thankful for all the different perspectives. All right. Well, we'll get in, yeah. into that a little bit more, but maybe we should start with the quote unquote whiskey. Today, we'll be trying Ritual's Zero Proof Whiskey Alternative. Um, because yeah. they claim it's the highest rated and most awarded non-alcoholic spirit. Yeah. So yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, listener knows, because listeners heard all of our episodes, that uh, we've tried a couple of these and mixed results. The last time we did a cocktail. Uh, it's got a good pop. Yeah, it's got a good pop. So I love that. We'll get into it. So it's zero proof, uh, no mash bill, five calories per serving, which is 1.5 uh, ounces. And... Um, no sugar? Yeah, no, it's got a little sugar, no protein, no real nutritional value. I don't know what else to tell you about it. We'll, we're going to give it a shot, though. <laughs> I wish it had protein. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There's your market. Zero alcohol, oh, full protein. Interesting. It's got a lot of smell going yeah, on. Yeah, it does. I was not expecting that. It smells kind of minty. Minty? You didn't no, know? I'm not. Or licorice, yes, maybe? Yes, licorice. I'm getting a little bit of like a mm. licorice citrusy licorice and that's just yeah. the smell so we'll give it a taste um it's not like whiskey it's it's yeah. it's an alternative to whiskey and many other beverages um it has a little bit of the citrus up front it has kind of like a do you remember those wax lips that you could get you know and they you could kind of like chew on them they were always in the candy section for whatever reason like it has a little of that flavor to me like I'm, I've got a little liquid wax, waxy. Yeah, but not like, but it's it. You know, it's like edible and 
fine. They got to get that on the bottle. <laughs> yeah, advertise oh, that. Yeah, that's our next sponsor. Is that some some weird weirdness to it? I think it has like a light um, mint or cinnamon, maybe more like a light cinnamon yeah. on the finish too. I think the cinnamon is the attempt at like being a little burn like. Like the one that we had that had like pepper in yeah. it. There could be some of that. Oh, yeah, like too, the fake but... burning. Yeah, it's supposed to give you that kind of feeling about it. I like how Welch went right to ice, too. He was like, I can't drink this warm. Um, <laughs> well, that's fair. Yeah, so. This is not the worst non Exactly, it's not. Had, yeah, so, so that's kind of the thing is, so we have the tentacle scale one day, zero to eight tentacles. I keep forgetting to remind myself we're zero based. And uh, so zero, ugh, disgusting, don't give me this. Eight, amazing. This is all I'm going to have when I want to have a pseudo libation, I guess. And obviously four is like just fine. We try to categorize all of our different things. So for us, obviously, this will be like uh, in whiskey alternatives. How do we rate this comparison to the others? We've definitely had like pretty much a zero. And we've had like, yeah, not bad. What was that? Like four or five, something like that. So far, based on those things, it's, um, yeah, it's okay. I think I want to, well, so straight up, I would say... It's probably four range for me, but I think it has some potential in a cocktail. So I'll, I'll, I might reevaluate at that point. What do you think, Welch? Well, you know, obviously my, my perspective is pretty different here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've lived a lot of years through the bad days of mocktails where it was just like different fruit juices. Um, so it's really nice to have all these alternatives all of a sudden. Having stuff that's like more interesting, more complex is for me really preferable, but like also I have nothing to compare it to. You know, like the last time I drank whiskey, I was 12. I think. Mm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a story. Um, so, yeah, it is really interesting. I like that it kind of burns a little bit in the back of the throat when you kind of let it sit for a while. So, I think for me, I would kind of rank it in various NA things I've had. Um, and I would probably give it like, yeah, like a five or a six pretty interesting yeah that's fair yeah i can't remember what we rated the other non-alcoholic ones i know the first two were trash and like the last one we had was pretty good i would say this one's a little less good than that one and i want to say i gave it like a five or a six because it was like surprisingly good so i'm gonna give this one a four i think yeah i think that's fair i'm mixing up my cocktail right now until Oh, yeah. I'll give you that. All I had was Fresca, so I'm going to try a Fresca in this and see what it tastes like. <laughs> I think it might work. I'm, I don't know that I've ever mixed Fresca with actual alcohol in the past, but obviously, you know, whiskey or, or um, whiskey wouldn't lend itself as much, but you can throw vodka in just about it, anything. It just mm. tastes. I shouldn't have moved. Now I'm never going to have a focus yeah. camera again. Okay. You're doing the people a favor. Sponsored by Sony. <laughs> it wasn't because these weren't free. Uh, alrighty, so we'll jump into the next part of the, the show as we uh, work on the cocktail section. Uh, so hot takes, just different things that folks are talking about on tech Twitter or that just kind of seem to get spark a lot of opinion. So we'll start with, do you use inferred types in TypeScript or explicit types? Mostly inferred types, you know, my understanding is really like the real benefit in explicit types is once your code base has just grown to really like enormous proportions where it actually gonna is, is going to impact either your compilation times or your IDEs like, you know, uh, computational uh, bandwidth, you know. Um, but yeah, it really depends on what I'm doing, but largely inferred types, yeah. It depends is the only right answer, that's true. Yeah. I just want to show you guys this for a moment what we're doing here adorable yeah 
There you go. Whiskey sour. We'll see how that yeah. goes. I, the Fresca is uh, not recommended. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, man. I wish, I wish I'd known. I would have had a little mocktail mixer or something. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm, refreshing. Yeah. Uh, Tailwind or vanilla CSS? I found myself reaching for Tailwind more and more when I'm just trying to get something out the door, like a little side project idea. But then I realized that like, I actually know CSS better than I know Tailwind shortcuts. And it actually, I spend all of my time just looking up Tailwind shortcuts. So probably vanilla CSS. I mean, I think particularly once vanilla CSS lands nested classes or nested uh, selectors, you know, that's really like at that point, just, you know, why, why anything else? Mm-hmm. I would have expected that yeah. answer out of you having run Sassy DC in the past. Yeah, I guess we didn't give SAS as a choice. It was CSS or Tailwind. Yeah, I mean, I've given up yeah. on SAS, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, they've, 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 so much stuff is in the spec now that I think like most of the benefits of, of that are. And hey, that's a great thing, you know? The tool kind of leads the way for the spec and, and, uh, and things get merged in, so. Yeah. And I really have not found a CSS in JS solution that I really like all that much either. Yeah. Just all the trade-offs are bad. Either the syntax is bad or just, yeah. Yeah. Not a fan. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Don't put all the stuff in JS. I'm going to go ahead and go to the last one, Robbie, because I added it. Um, So there's a lot of talk around should you buy or build, basically. So should you go and get auth as a service or roll your own auth? Uh, I mean, again, it just like really, really depends, you know, it's like, what are you doing with your auth? You know, do you need something that is bespoke or not? I mean, the reality is also, I think that like, there's just so many open source tools at this point that handle auth really well, where it's like, why, why do you even need to pay for it? If your whole goal is just to avoid writing all the boilerplate. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think that um, some of it has to do with it depends, of course, because like, what is it? Is it your own little project? Open source, probably fine. Is it, you know, early stage enterprise? Yeah, I don't know. It, I think that paying for auth when, you know, there's like a dedicated team there for this well-treaded path, like, do you want to learn that path amongst the other logic in your application? Or can you kind of offload that and let experts who are dedicated to that constantly like give you all your needs there and then you don't have to worry about it anymore so i don't know there's seems like there's some benefits around that but yeah i think my only you know my only rejoinder there is you know i'm I'm almost always a proponent of build of buying rather mm-hmm. you know um I, I really think there are a lot of ways in which uh it almost always makes sense and you shouldn't really buy your own stuff but at a certain point like what are you still doing <laughs> <laughs> you know at a certain point there actually is diminishing returns on that yeah Makes sense. I just like to not do anything hard myself. So, you know, (laughs) there you go. Here's that. (laughs) Yeah. So the next one is get rebase or get merge. Oh, rebase all day long. Mm. See, that was the only right answer. I love a clean commit history. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of these, there are right answers, (laughs) um, but only in our opinion. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Again, I think it's obvious why these kind of like spark uh, heated opinionated conversation which is why they're fun cool those are all the hot takes we have yeah yeah unless you've got something top of mind i took the htmx stuff out just because you're like i don't even understand what this is 
I'll, I'll live in Virginia. I think HTMX is just a buzzword that people use to get people routed mm. on X. Now there is a hot take. If any app that's like a real app gets built in it, I will be surprised. <laughs> Come at me. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. You can reach him at uh, at Robbie yeah. the at Wagner. Charles W the third. Yeah. Make sure you don't spell third out though. It's a, it's the number three. It's very important. Now, uh, some of the things we were going to talk about uh, today, you know, along the lines of you getting into tech and how folks can kind of become self-taught and go into the path. Although I, I feel like that started to become a hot topic as well on Twitter, where because it's a flooded marketplace, some people are saying, well, now anyone who doesn't have CS degrees can really just kind of get pushed to the side a lot and maybe a lot, a lot more challenging. But so, uh, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts around getting into web development as someone who was self-taught? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of my my path, I think, is that, you know, I had been making websites like as a hobby, essentially, since I was in middle school, really. I had had a computer and, you know, had experimented with HTML and CSS, and I just always had been doing that. And then I actually lived with a guy who I, I needed a computer and he was like, I'll help you build a computer, but you have to actually do it all. Um, his name's Brian Harrington. He was the uh, architect at CoreOS, which was sort of a Kubernetes competitor for a while. But uh, yeah, now he works at Red Hat. Great guy. He helped me build a computer, eventually got me a job at a systems administrator. And then SAS came along and that was just this weird intersection of like my skill set basically like because i remember at the time you know front end people really were not there was not a lot of tooling um so people were really freaked out by it they were like how do you even do this what is the command line how do you work in bash and i i knew how to work in bash and i knew how css worked so that was really like my in and that was also right around the time that you know responsive web design was coming to be and i was like oh this is really interesting I, you know and i just really made a bunch of things for myself for like my own projects, my friends projects. Um, and I just cranked out a bunch in a row, you know, it's a little bit of like, you know, luck is, you know, mostly preparation, which is that our old boss, Adam Lake said, you know, uh, we're making this new site. I really just don't have enough people who know responsive design. Well, and I've seen the stuff that you've been working on and you've been talking about, do you want to just come on as a contractor? So part of it was just like, right time, right place, right skill set. You know, I think that was like my way to get in the door. And it's hard to really kind of recommend that to other people of like, oh, just be in the right place. <laughs> you know, but the other thing is also like work really hard. You know, like I, I was studying and getting my reps up constantly. You know, like I was working in this vegetable oil shop and it was like the pumps were constantly breaking down. So I was just like, disassembling pumps and cleaning them and putting them back together. And I would just wear headphones and I would listen to podcasts all day long. I would listen to Jen Simmons and Chris Coyer. They both had podcasts at the time. And that would kind of just help me like familiarize myself with the vocabulary of like a professional working web engineer. And all, so all of that kind of came together and really helped me be well poised to, yeah, you know, be a professional. Chris Coyier still has a podcast and uh, has many, many episodes. Like they're what, six or 700 now or something? Yeah, there's quite it's insane. Yeah. Quite a bit. And uh, I mean, I wonder what it was it Shop Talk? I guess it would have been probably Shop Talk, right? Still. Yeah, at that yeah point. it was Shop Talk. Yeah. 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 And you were in the shop listening to Shop Talk. 
Yeah, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, uh, as someone also who's uh, gone down the path of self-taught, and I think uh, it's hard to recommend that path, though, in the future or to current folks, or at least anyone who is looking to have a job tomorrow, right? I think you need to essentially take the time to assemble the skills, show competency, and then wait for the right opportunity along the way. I mean, I think that's just really how it works. It's kind of, uh, you know, you, you can be self-serving making things for yourself or, or you know, those around you as, as part of that. Uh, I know uh, Robbie's mentioned a couple of different times, like some of his web skills came out of his need for his band and MySpace and things like that. Like, did you have similar experiences initially or? Yeah, I mean, 100%, you know, it was like these, I was in these DIY punk bands, and we were, you know, booking our own shows and making our own flyers. And, you know, at the time, making our own websites. So yeah, 100%. Yeah, would make it make sites for my bands, make sites for friends bands. Yeah, that's, that's really what I did. And it was a, it was a big rabbit hole. Like, I had no idea what I was doing at in the beginning, you know, it's just like, you copy a bunch of I mean, similar to how anyone does anything now too, I guess you copy stuff you don't really understand to start and like just change the bits you do understand. And then you start to understand the bigger picture and like learn how everything fits together and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, I think anyone who's like worried about the big scope of front end these days should just like find a working example and tinker with it instead of like trying to learn a ton of shit at once yeah kind of like the reverse engineering path and, and things of that nature i mean that's a good point that you make though there's a big difference and divide around the complexity of the web now f within front end just making a a website you know for yourself in that way and thinking you need all these other layers and you don't always need that html basic and you can still make a site in that same way these days. So I think that's probably not touted enough, like just get something on the web that you can access. And I, I would also argue that that understanding is crucial. Do you need all of that tooling to be a competitive applicant in this day and age? Like, absolutely. But if you're an applicant that actually understands what the target is, you know, like if you actually understand the specification of CSS, of JavaScript, of HTML, you're so much better poised. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And it's like, you know, something we've mentioned a few times that HTML and uh, CSS are really, well, they're not taught, but then JavaScript is also not taught. It's like, you know, jump right into React. I guess this is maybe contradicting what I just said about starting with a working example. But um, I think there's give and take. Like, you should look at those complex examples and, like, tinker with them and play with them and, and learn them slowly but from a learning perspective, you should start with the smallest building blocks. Like you can build a site with just HTML and you don't have to style it at all. It will look bad. But like if you know HTML and know what those things do and like know that you can wrap an input in a label and like when you click the label, it will select the thing and like stuff like that. That sets you up for success building things down the road. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think you were right in what you said and in the sense of like go to a site that you might want to replicate and then look in at the source code, you know, look in the developer tools or whatever you need to do. And that's going to give you the output, right? Even if it was a React site, it's going to give you kind of the the, uh, the structure and the output. And that's a good place to start, right? And developer tools can let, help you to look at all of the CSS that is applied to those things too. 
and you know start to kind of replicate on that level and then add in interactivity once you're more comfortable like kind of take the next stage and the next next step and stages there i mean another thing that i think is really beautiful there's a reason that i was drawn to the web you know and that's because these specifications are actually like these giant open semi consensus based agreements essentially you know and they're really well documented um, and there's examples that are really well documented. I mean, the Mozilla documentation is incredible. You can learn to do genuinely anything you need to do in a website or web application from that documentation. You know, like if you have the patience to go and read through it, I, you know, I would make the case you don't even need to pay for a boot camp if you can have the discipline to pursue it on your own. Yeah, I agree 100% because the incentives are different there too, right? Are you trying to make something for yourself and slowly learn how these things are organized and, and build upon that while, and not to say that they're not well-intentioned, but a boot camp is incentivized to get you hired. Oftentimes that's sort of the, the trigger for you paying is you have to get hired or you, they don't get paid kind of thing or something of that nature. And so they're going to train you specifically for the job that the the partners they work with have have asked for. I want someone to come and be able to be productive in our React application, in our Ruby application, or whatever it is. You know, a lot of times in the front end perspective, I think it's it's just a, a React application, and that's all folks know how to do is come and and rinse and repeat that kind of thing. But it doesn't really give you a lot of understanding of of the tools you're working with, and then when there's a problem, you don't know why. And that's, that's really what I think stifles some of that advancement and probably ends up being frustration on all sides there because you as a person think that this is what the tools you needed to do the job and the reality presents itself somewhat differently. And then the company thinks they were getting someone who's proficient within, you know, their, their business tools that it's not a complete package. So now they're continuing to retrain these people and. And, and things of that nature. I mean, there's a, there's always like outliers, but I think for the most part, it, it that's probably where a lot of the challenge is. I think boot camps in general, like is anyone getting hired out of them right now? Like, I feel like they're not advocating enough for people like, or I think a lot of them are probably not even open anymore. Like they've fallen on hard times themselves, but I feel like it's a really high bar right now to get a, a job at all in any, any capacity, a junior developer, senior developer, anything. I think self-taught is different because it's like you can spend as much time and get as expert at whatever you want as you want without spending any money. So, well, maybe a little money. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna get you might want to pay for a couple yeah. of things, but, but like these, the boot camps are, it's just a smaller scale version of like paying for four years of college and then having tons of debt and never being able to pay it off. Because if you never get a job, you're just gonna, you know, spend 20 grand on a boot camp, And then how do you pay for that? seen it happen <laughs> yeah indeed when demand was high right three four years ago it was a little more of a straight shot and again like folks that were productive and effective right out of that wasn't always direct but there were needs and uh companies were hiring like crazy and it was just beef up get the numbers and we'll kind of figure it out and i think well, i know 100 percent we're in a very different place at this point so yeah, unfortunately, I feel sorry for for folks who haven't been given an opportunity yet, or have you know not very much experience, one two years potentially, and then being in this particular job market, like start your own company. Yeah. I don't know, something like that. 
I'm not here to give career or financial advice or medical advice, but that means any advice. At no, all. yeah, don't listen to yeah. me. So let's talk a little bit about where you're at now, though, you know, where you were, yeah. where you're at now, because I'm imagining the things you're doing today are quite different. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now for Stitch Fix and kind of like what your responsibilities as a principal engineer look like? So, yeah, I mean, like you said, very different. You know, I kind of like got a weird amount into my career without learning much about code. <laughs> Like I like really was like really focused on like design systems and stuff. And I would like do JavaScript when I needed to, and I would do JavaScript when I needed to, but I really, I really disliked it. And then I kind of had like a lot of, uh, responsibility dropped in my lap at one point where basically everyone who was senior above me had left the company and they were like, okay, you're in charge of the entire application now. And it was a real like sink or swim moment. Um, and I, I'm honestly, honestly like really glad that it happened because it was the thing that really, it was a huge opportunity for growth in my career. Um, and it turned out that I really liked trying to solve problems at scale rather than just these little features here and there. And I really liked working with people who had not as much ex experience as I did to help them level up and understand the kinds of problems that were in front of us. Um, and that's kind of got me to where I am today, which is landing at a company, you know, I'm going to digress here really quick because it is very funny to me is that I applied once at Stitch Fix to, I believe, a senior position and they told me that I didn't have enough React experience. And then I applied a year later and I got hired as a principal. <laughs> So <laughs> to, to anyone who's feeling down, sometimes it really is just like a funny timing thing, you know, like you'll get just dismissed for these like silly reasons where the hiring manager doesn't necessarily understand what they're looking at. And sometimes you just need to align with the right person. Um, and I, and I did, you know, uh, I, this, uh, I've got a great manager brought me on at Stitch Fix. And one of the interesting things about Stitch Fix is they have like a really deep track for individual contributors. You know, I'm, it's probably something you've talked about on the show before, but a lot of times when people get really senior, companies don't really know what to do with them. And they shrug and say, do you want to manage? And if you don't, <laughs> you know, it can be kind of hard to keep progressing. So Stitch Fix has a nice mature concept of what it means to continue to progress as an individual contributor. And it's really great. You know, I, it means like basically that my accumulated technical wisdom is, is you know, kind of appreciated. Um, and I get a lot of time to kind of uh, help, you know, kind of run ahead and research new features that we know we're going to be going after. And then also a lot of time to work on mentorship with people. So is principal top of the tree? Or are there more rungs? No, there are, t yeah, the, there's uh, there's principal one, principal two, and then I believe architect one and architect mm. two. So there's still still room to grow. Yeah, yeah. The terminology is so different everywhere. Like mm -hmm. all these people have like staff engineer titles. And I'm like, what the hell is staff? Like <laughs> you work there? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I've seen that a few different places and how they define it differs from place to place. But like, uh, oh, yeah. you know, staff can mean you're sort of out of band and not necessarily on a specific team, but like maybe over a group of teams. It's almost like a technical lead over like an entire org within a group or something like that. You know, that that's what I've seen more recently, but along those rungs, you're, you're kind of like looking at different challenges deeper and deeper 
into like the system and its design and underlying items that uh, could either become antiquated or unproductive or uh, error prone and stuff like that. I don't know. That's that's what I've seen, I guess, as far as staff. If that's, but then architect can be another one that's sort of like that as well too. You're like looking into the systems yeah. and how they interconnect and. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Like, are you architecting one team or like a bunch of teams? You know, like I don't. It probably all depends based on the company and how they define it. But yeah, I think once you start going like that, you, there are certain levels where you sort of come out from the people and you're looking at more of the systems and the machines. Yeah, you know, there's a really, you know, at least you know, in my company, it is really structured. They have it well defined. These are the kinds of things we want to see. And really, the higher you move up the chain, the basically what they want to see is that you have an impact on the organization. You know, so for example, like my promotion from a P1 to a P2 was a lot about talking about how, you know, I've made certain proposals and move those proposals through, you know, difficult processes involving multiple teams and being able to demonstrate that, that that's a skill I have. Yeah, Amazon calls it force multiplication. That's, <laughs> mm-hmm. We you have to be a force multiplier across multiple teams or whatever, and like it's because if you're just contributing as much as you can, that has like a a limit, right? Yeah. But if you're like teaching others and helping teams grow, then it like force multiplies. <laughs> so it turns out the force it's very aggressive yeah. though. If you think about it, like why are, why are you being yeah. so aggressive there? <laughs> yeah. I will, you know, I would say that's an interesting thing is, is beyond, beyond companies having different concepts of how they view these different titles. I would say that even the people who have the titles sometimes view it very differently because you will run into principals who say, my job is just to write mountains of code and sit in my little cave. And I'm not a huge fan of that uh, kind of philosophy. I, I really am a big believer that the only worth in, in, in a progressively more senior engineer is their ability to teach other people. You know, if you are not involved in helping people become better engineers, get their promotions from a technical perspective, then I just don't know what you're doing. Yeah. It's an interesting overlap with management to a degree. A hundred percent agree as you, as you move up in seniority or up the career ladder, um, from the technical side, that basically being a thought leader within the organization and helping foster that thought within the organization is like, that's the number one job there. And that's the force multiplier, I suppose. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is really interesting, you know, because I, I, I not only help people with technical hurdles, but also a lot with like communication hurdles, you know, like I really believe in this technical investment and I just, for the life of me, I can't get it prioritized. Well, that's a huge thing I work with people on is like, you know, how to talk about the problem that they think is important in a way that the business can hear and easily recognize the value. You know, it's like, that's like an example of something. Um, and it is really nice to have the space to work on those kinds of skills, but also freed from the concerns of a strict people manager. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So when, uh, another aspect at, at your current position and, and company that uh, comes to mind that seems like you'd be a very natural fit for, I don't know if you get an opportunity around this, but uh, do they have you model the clothes as well as work on the software? I mean, <laughs> it has, hasn't come. That up. was on your resume, right? Like, I hope. Yeah. Uh, that never, could be a I'm new never, title. Have you been stitched like, fixed? Do you consume the product? 
I, man, I can't believe you put me, I should have asked you not to put me on the spot like this. Um, <laughs> Stitch Fix is clearly a very great product for a particular kind of person. That particular kind of person is not me. <laughs> <laughs> I am very much like, I find a shirt, I like it, you get I'll it buy in three, it in five colors. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, in, you know, in my experience, you have the button up in like three very muted, somewhat military colors, and there you go. <laughs> You know, maybe you should design a, a, a line, you know, for, for folks such for as just yourself. really boring people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, don't, like, I don't think that's who the product is look, for. Look you know, stylish, but kind of boring. <laughs> don't stand out from the crowd. Uh, you know, but I, a lot, a lot of my coworkers do use it and, and love it. Um, I sh probably should get a fix at some point. <laughs> yeah. I think you have to, you know, quote unquote, eat your own dog food. Mm -hmm. We're going to get to food too here shortly. So. Because of the big changes in your life, I uh, I was so excited the last that I saw you that we could share the same kind of food together. So I was in Portland for a conference, met up with Welch. He's like, let's go meet at this barbecue place. We're in Portland. So I'm thinking, of course, yeah, they offer vegan options. Every place does here. It's cool. You know, and I like that, you know, when you have people who have dietary restrictions, elective or not, having choices is good. And then you just ordered a big old plate of meat. And uh, I was like, what is happening here? So, yeah, you, you, you know, you kept your cool. I thought you were really going to like lose it. But you just like you rolled with the punches at least for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I kind of had all of that on the inside and let that out later on. So make it, make it easy there. So, you know, in your journey of change in life, what was the, the big deciding factor there to go from like, I'm going to eat meat. So for people who don't know me for many years, I, I was vegan for 20 years. Yeah. Um, and I recently just stopped and, you know, I, I really hate to deny people a satisfying answer, but the real reason is that I just didn't want to anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I just kind of like, it was a thing that honestly had always been kind of easy for me. I never really understood when people said, oh, I could never, I couldn't give up this, I couldn't give up that. It wasn't much of a challenge. Um, and then I just eventually realized that I just was mainly doing it out of inertia. Right, yeah. Just didn't have any like real convictions around it. It was just like the way you lived life and then why not yeah. introduce a different way into life? And boy, is it in Technicolor now. <laughs> you know it is really I, I think this is an experience that maybe most people don't recognize but like when you're vegan you're always looking around for like where can i eat and you're always like or at least i was very aware of it and you know so there's like always like a small little list you're, you know you arrive in a city and you're like these are the 10 or 20 places i can go to and it really is crazy all of a sudden to just be like oh i have thousands of options i can literally i don't have to plan anything or think about it i literally just have to walk through the world and i will stumble upon food i can eat yeah but that part is crazy yeah and probably pretty nice i mean that literally anywhere you go in the world you won't starve there are options it's pretty convenient i'm not gonna lie yeah. We had amazing gelato also after all of that meat. And again, there you go. And I'm sure there are plenty of like pretty tasty vegan options because I mean, it's not like sugar's out, you know, not a part of the lifestyle or of, of the dietary uh, restriction there. So, but cream like gelato with real cream is incredible. And so now you just got to go to Italy and just eat your way through the, the country. Make it over there eventually. I keep thinking Robbie's mic isn't working so i give you a, like a moment of pause in order to no sorry i'm 
distracted because my dad has been texting me and I'm trying to read the, <laughs> on the side of the screen. And then every time I look at myself, I'm all like blurred blurry out. And and weird. Oh, see, it's good right now. So that's the position. Do not know, move so yourself. I can't move. Yeah, just stay still and be more stoic than normal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I smiled too much. It's uh, it stopped. I don't get it. I don't know. I mean, we, like, we need to talk to Jason and be like, make me not look like shit. Right. We'll have to get him <laughs> on for some consulting and, and whatever. So you guys were geeking out on some like audio audiophile like things earlier before we got started recording i want to know some of these things oh and i think we, no not really oh no we were genuinely <laughs> I mean, just we talking were... about video camera settings yeah oh okay <laughs> yeah well, what do you use because we were at... I, you know i for whatever reason i woke up this morning and thought uh i was too prepared too ready i've literally never done this before but i have like a sony camera and i was like i know people do do this so i'm just gonna try to get it hooked up and yeah that's what i spent my morning doing oh, okay and it all worked out yeah, just it's the same camera we had is it really so yeah what lens so that's why i was like oh well tell me how to not look like shit and then like i was like oh are you using the like cinematic i don't i forget what they call it the one that's like the little uh piece of film that's supposed to be for like you know what I'm talking about? No, I'm just laughing about how your focus keeps changing. Mine doesn't. I don't oh, really know what's sorry. going on there. This all works well. But I just well, think... we have different lenses, mm -hmm. and maybe I made a poor choice. I got the the Sony 28 millimeter, I think it is. Mm. Something like I've that. I've got a 35 millimeter Sigma. Sigma. Yeah. I have a 16 millimeter Sigma, too, but it was like a little... Yeah, it wasn't as good. So did you yeah. just use whatever I mean, with the kit? This gives me a lot more blur. No, I have a thirty. I have I have both a twenty eight and a fifty, and the twenty eight's on right now. Yeah, see, the twenty eight's where it's at. I think too. Anyway, now you know. You what you have to do, Robbie, well, is spend all Scott morning. Scott uses like a like a fifty five or something ridiculous, and people are like, "Did you put this like way off of your desk?" And he's like, "No, it like it just sits on the back of my desk." Like, so I don't understand how he makes that work. But <laughs> again, I guess you're just gonna have to like get some consulting on your setup or something oh i will yeah S spend all morning working on that so on yeah. and so forth well i need to look at it when it's not podcast time like i don't look at mm -hmm. it at all until it's time to be recording and then i'm like oh shit this doesn't work <laughs> and then i'm like well it, it works well enough like and then we're 10 minutes in and so welch when you're not being boring and picking clothing online uh what other things are you into i i I've been doing art class. Oh. <laughs> I've been learning to draw for like the last year. Yeah. So I've been doing just figure drawing. Uh, that's a big, big piece of my time these days. Um, and then also um, I've been working in my shop. I have like a, a, like a wood shop. I recently just moved it out of the basement here into a building a few blocks away. So I've been kind of building out the new shop and working with my hand i put a nail through my hand Oof. the other day that was fun that was a good time i'm not sure your um, <laughs> idea of fun is you should start drinking alcohol because <laughs> you're saying i don't have enough accidents <laughs> yeah you're like yeah. <laughs> no your idea of fun is just one nail me. like so yeah. here's where you can get it gets exciting just have a drink and pass out like the rest of us mm -hmm. i mean really i just like making stuff you know so that's that's really what i spend my time doing is you know making photos uh, making drawings um and yeah i guess for the first time in my life gonna be like venturing into making like you know kind of physical three-dimensional thing mm. have a bunch of you know, bunch of furniture i want to make oh very cool yeah. can't wait to start that you can build a website for your shop so i think it's a good sequitur to to my question about if you weren't in tech what career 
would you pursue? I think I really would have just ended up in a random trade. Um, you know, I think at that, at that time when I kind of stumbled into National Geographic, I actually was applying to be an iron worker when I lived in Pittsburgh, which is basically a bridge builder. Um, but I think I would have ended up as a carpenter, electrician, something like that. And some of us are born that way. Carpenters. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah, people don't get that joke. You've made that a few times, and people are like, oh, yeah, so you, like, do woodworking. Yeah. Like, no. No. <laughs> no, not like Jesus, like my last name, sorry, who also yeah. made furniture, so. How do you know what he made? Has it been documented? Um, how do I know specifically what he made? Yeah. No. Did the Bible say, Jesus made a hutch today? <laughs> uh, I can't cite the source when put on... Uh, <laughs> But I have read before. I'm just, I'm just giving that, you our yeah, time. Yeah, no. Uh, that there was this, you know, there's the birth, baby Jesus, all the things happened. And then, like, all of a sudden he shows up in history at, like, 31 as a, a furniture builder. And then, I don't know. You know you know what happened from there, I, I would expect. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd like, you know, the way that some churches will say, like, you know, this is some of Jesus's hair. This is, like, a shroud he was wrapped in or whatever. Like, if they had, like, his amateur woodworking projects. Oh, yeah, it would be great. Like, this is, <laughs> like, this is so a, cool. uh, uh, like, a cutting board he made. Yeah. You know? In the catacombs. Yeah, I'm surprised of the no Vatican. one's done that. It's all, it's all in, like, the, the storage, the catacombs of the, of the Vatican. That's what I understand. Mm. You know, they have all the relics. They're not going to release that. It's not going on tour. <laughs> the body of Jesus brought to you by Sony. I make that joke because I've been to the Vatican before and they have these giant screens there. They're like Panasonic <laughs> screens so that like, you know, oh. when the Pope comes out and they can, you know, they're, they're dialed Always in. Panasonic. Yeah. Pope brought to you by Panasonic. <laughs> I don't know. I would be a voice actor if I wasn't in tech. I think I could have, I think I'd gone down that path. You Pod, could just never podcaster. listen to the things that you did. What? Which one? Of those? I don't know. Uh, you, <laughs> Robbie, you first. <laughs> this is going well. I just said, I just said that you wouldn't be able to listen to any of the stuff you made. It's true. Yeah. So how would you know if it was good? I don't know. That's that's true. Anyway, because I don't listen to any episodes of the podcast. I did listen to uh, one recently, just the beginning mostly, because we changed the intro music, and I was like, I'm into this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now I'm talking, and I'm done. That's all I wanted. Yeah. I'm here. What do I have to hear about it? You know, I know what happens. We talked about. You check. Well, I listened to it to see if, like, you know, the the producers did a good job, or like, you know, if we if our levels are all messed up, so the next time we can do better or whatever. Like, okay, fair enough. So one one more tie back to tech, of course, um, before we wrap up, and that is: Are there any other developers or projects that you're like really into right now? I think the T three stack is is really impressive i have really enjoyed working with that you know i i think that when you look at the kind of history of where we are you know in the tooling world you know we had this stuff like rails and we had this stuff like django that began to just absorb way too much you know ember obviously was like you know the victim of absorbing too much stuff um that ultimately it's just really hard to manage um, and then you have, you know, this kind of complete about face into stuff like NPM, where you have like a single package that handles left pad and there's not really a lot of prescription. Um, and T3 is kind of like this fantastic blend of 
it's the best of all worlds, you know, where they're basically saying this is the best in class for each piece of the framework puzzle. Um, and here's a really opinionated and really opinionated take on, on that. And, and here it is all wired together and just functioning, you know, so you can kind of spin something up and you've got an ORM and you've got auth and it all just works. The kind of time you can get from like idea to deployed and functioning application with something like T3 is, is, is really fantastic. So yeah, I've been loving that. I can give you a longer answer. <laughs> like, um, uh, uh, one problem that I've, um, been going into recently is maintaining state in the URL, but having like very specific interactions in your UI as people are completely excited about this kind of move to islands architecture. They're excited about things like, uh, you know, Astro and similar technologies there's really nobody who's actually creating that kind of handoff of the router from the server to the client. You basically just have to kind of abandon any idea of client side routing, unless you're using next <laughs> next is the only one who's doing that handoff. Well, you know, I've heard of other people looking into it. I'm sure it won't be long, but for now, you know, next is still best in class. <laughs> you know, it's hard to beat um, in terms of just its sheer flexibility, you know, and, and, I, and I think that they really chose a very smart footprint to say like, this is what we're responsible for and we're not responsible for anything else. I mean, it was really, uh, really smart on their part. Yeah. Does the app directory change any of that stuff? That's a good question. You know, I, I, I've, I've played with it some, but not no, you know what? No, no. The application where I kind of worked out this idea was out of the app directory. So yeah, it totally just has kind of a handoff from the the server to the client in terms of routing, um, which is which is great. You know, and what I'm talking about to be very yeah, I know it's very hard to talk about very technical things in kind of discernible language, but what I'm talking about here is, for example, like transitioning a sort with an animation. Mm -hmm. while keeping that in sync with your URL so that you can still share your state with somebody else, you know? Yeah. These are things like you would find in applications with a ton of polish. Yeah, and there's just nobody else who's really solving the problem. Yeah, I think uh, route or URL as state and being persistent, whether from server or client side is, is a pretty... It's funny that it's still a challenge because you mentioned things earlier Django, for example, like I can remember having these conversations like over 10 years ago. And this mm -hmm. is still a thing that we're talking about ac across the web and web applications. It's like, what is state and what is state as URL? And how do you like have that be consistent and represent both the state and the data in, in a concise way that makes sense? Anyway, perhaps yeah. for another episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a deep topic of just why is routing such a problem anyways like browsers handle it kind of i guess when you're doing really complex data like it matters more but yeah it's it just seems like a thing that should have been solved a long time ago and that frameworks shouldn't have to care about it should just work in all browsers but alas <laughs> here we are it's the joy of being a web engineer that's right yeah some of us that gives us some real job security <laughs> I'm just the router expert. All right. We are getting close to time here. Is there anything before we end that you would like to plug or 
projects you're working on. Uh, I don't know anything you you want to put out out there for people to know about. I am a, a just a, a plugless human, you know. I, I really um, <laughs> soundbite. Plugless <laughs> <laughs> <A> human. <laughs> Here's what I would say: is you know, I, I think that um, I used to put a lot of work into like maintaining a blog. You know, I, I thought it was like a really valuable part of being an engineer. Um, you know, I said, oh, I want to write about this stuff. And I think that when I get hired, people will look at the things I've written and that will contribute to getting hired. And I just never experienced it. Like, you know, never did I go through a hiring process where somebody said we really liked that article. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I think after a while I just realized like, Oh, this is actually like not a great use of my time. You know, like I can spend extracurricular time studying really hard, but like in terms of being like a content generator, it just, for me at least, you know, uh, it didn't work out in the long term. You know, I think obviously for some people it works out really well, <laughs> Yeah, I'm just not one of them. Mm. You should shift to, to doing yeah. woodworking videos. That'll be your content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Build something with wood and then build it with CSS <laughs> and do a comparison. Yeah. Well, that's like one of my, one of my projects at home right now is like a, is like a home automation thing. So I basically am having like a server and some remote mini computers that are going to be housed in like a nice wooden box. Oh, yeah. So. This is just the, the most complicated way to avoid looking at my phone while I'm going to sleep. I love it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe. Leave us some ratings and reviews. We appreciate it, and we will catch you next time. Boom, boom, boom.